Welcome back to another installment of the Basement Lounge, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Wells couldn't join us today because uh, he's a jackass. Nah, but uh, we are so thrilled to have somebody on the phone right now uh, that I've been a fan of for a while now. You may have seen his clips on YouTube and Facebook of him just absolutely decimating people that have the audacity to ruin a comedy show. Uh, he is the originator of my favorite word in the world, which is redophile, meaning somebody who really loves redheads, because Lord knows we all do. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome on the phone Mr. Steve Hofstetter from The Road. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on. So you are, you're doing some traveling right now. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I live in L.A., and my family's on the East Coast, and I haven't seen them all year. And I decided that I wanted to try to go see them all. I could still see people outdoors because, you know, I'm not, I'm not making the mistake of picking up COVID at a gas station and giving it to my mother. So, uh, <laughs> I drove all the way to New York from LA and then drove down to Florida from New York and, uh, you know, saw my family and a couple friends and had a nice, had a couple nice, really nice afternoons outside. And now I'm headed home. How was, uh, how was the trip in general? You just have, you have a good time? Um, I did. I am uh, mortified at some of the things I've seen. Uh, you know, I, I drove by, like yesterday, I'm driving through, you know, like uh, Mobile and Biloxi in that part of the country. And uh, right outside of Biloxi, there was a giant carnival, probably a thousand people. And they just don't seem to care. And uh, in Mobile, uh, or actually right outside of Mobile and Daphne, I stopped to uh, pick up food. And you know, the, the even though they don't really have strict mask laws there, the the food place is doing it right. They had uh, you know social distancing, and everybody was buying plexiglass, and you couldn't get your food until they put it there like a dumb waiter. And so there's four, there's four feet between the counter and the door, and there's already someone at the counter, so I'm waiting to pick up my food outside the door. And some other guy walks in and just kind of cuts in front of me, go inside, and just go, oh hey man, I'm I'm in line. And he goes, what are you doing outside? And I go, oh, well, it's social distancing. And he didn't know what I meant. He said, what's that? Like, not with any irony. And I'm just like, even if you believe in it, man, we're eight months in. How do you, do you think all these people wearing masks in your town are nurses? Like, what do you, like, does he, does he flick on a football game? And he's like, wow, attendance is bad this year. Like, what is, <laughs> how do you not know what's happening? You had to have at least heard the word once. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know how sheltered this guy was, and if he was that sheltered, how did he know to order Chinese food? I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> it's, it's crazy to me, you know, this this far in, considering, you know, we, we hear about it all the time, the number of people who, who have gotten sick, the number of people who have died, that people still, you know, seem to view it as just something that doesn't really it's like, oh, I don't need to worry about that. That happens to other people. But I think people tend to forget that we are other people to other people. Absolutely. We're, we are someone else's other people. And, you know, and look, I am 41. I'm in pretty good shape. And odds are I'll be okay. But you know what? Ben Gleeb, who is, you know, great comic, a uh, buddy of mine, he's like a year older than me. He got COVID back in March. And he had to take blood thinners for six months. He had blood clots for six months and could have killed him if he didn't take blood thinners three times a day. And I see something like that, and I'm just like, no, thank you. 
I do not want that. I don't care. Like, people say, oh, survival rate is so high. It's like, yeah, but A, having it sucks, and getting over it also sucks. So even if I can survive, I don't want to have to go through it. Yeah, it's great that the survival rate's so high. You know, the survival rate for the chicken pox is pretty high, but I still don't want the chicken pox again. I mean. Yeah, yeah, same with gonorrhea. <laughs> no, thank you. It's because it's not going to kill. You know, I don't like peas. Peas aren't going to kill me. doesn't mean I want to fucking eat them. Um, <laughs> Very good point. So how is, you know, we are, we are in a, I mean, I, I, I keep wanting to call it a post-election cycle, but it seems like it still hasn't stopped. We're still talking about it. How have you been feeling and dealing with kind of the fallout from, from the election at the beginning of the month? Well, you know, driving through the areas I'm driving through, I've really seen such a mixed bag. I was in, I was in Ohio on election night. I was in Pennsylvania the day it was called. Um, I've seen everything from an entire neighborhood in Pittsburgh that all had Biden lawn signs, like every single house, to, you know, a, a Trump parade in upstate New York. And it's been, it's been really eye-opening to see, you know, kind of who, who believes what. I don't think I don't think post election cycle is even close to the right term for it because I don't think we're going to be post election cycle until a few months after inauguration day and maybe even more. That's definitely how it's starting to seem, how it's starting to feel. You know, I, I noticed in in the area I live in, like you know, after things were called, a lot of signs started coming down. But there is one guy that I drive by going to work every day who he doubled down. I mean, he went from having a few signs and a flag to like some custom made, uh, like the, the wire bent, the metal wire bending art made that spells out Trump and, you know, a bunch of, you know, the election was rigged signs hanging from his porch. And I, I don't know. It, it just, it's, it's, well, it's crazy to me. You got to figure those signs. It's probably like buying Halloween candy on November 2nd. They're probably cheap right now. <laughs> you know, like they're, this is clearance stuff, you know, get them while you can. Um, I, I think part of it is so many people have attached their identity to Trump over the last four years. And the idea of him not being something that they can identify with anymore is scary for them on a, on a human level. Mm. It's not a question of, oh, they don't want to admit that they were wrong. It's not a question of, they don't think that they're wrong. It's a question of, they were a Trump supporter. That was their identity. The same way that like my identity Hey, nice to meet you. Hey, my name's Steve. I'm a comic. That's my identity. If I couldn't be that anymore, I don't know what I'd say. And so for these people, they don't know what to do. You know, it was a weird weird time for me, too, because it was, you know, I, this is the first time in, in an election where I, like, A, I bought a sign, but it wasn't like I was, like, I wasn't excited about Biden. My, my lawn sign actually says fine Biden, but this is bullshit. Um, which yeah, I think which is, perfectly yeah. summed up my feelings. Yeah. I used to joke around in 2016 that Hillary was like, yeah, I guess I'll vote for me. Yeah. That's we, like, we had a discussion about that on the show where we were saying, you know, hate drives people to vote. People were voted in droves this year because they fucking hated Donald Trump, but the problem was in 2016, people also fucking hated Hillary Clinton. Yeah, the... 
the idea of there are very few excited people, like very few straight up excited people for Biden. Biden was probably of the, you know, of the 22 people that were running. Biden was like my 17th choice. <laughs> of the 22 people running, Bloomberg was like my 35th. But <laughs> like the, I think the only people that I would have been genuinely upset with would be, would have been Bloomberg or Marianne Williamson. They were, they were both. I was like, this is hard. But but that said, you know, yeah, hooray for Biden. And now, you know, as soon as people finally admit he's president and the transition happens and it's peaceful, we don't get a bunch of militia idiots in the street, then I'm going to go back to making fun of Biden. Yeah, because it's easy. It's it's pretty easy. (laughs) I think as it's I think as it's necessary. I think you need to hold his feet to the fire, yeah, and make sure that he honors the people who voted for him. Well, especially after the last four years of there being an absolute, complete lack of checks and balances, we need to make sure that if we're going to demand those checks and balances, that we demand it no matter who's sitting in that office, whether they're Donald Trump or Joe Biden or, or Mayor Pete or whoever. Yeah, I, I think we, we need to, there needs to be accountability. And, you know, the thing that we're, has really changed lately, you know, in the last couple of years is the systems are being attacked and the systems are what kept things in place. And so as long as we can make sure that there's faith in the systems and there can be accountability. Absolutely. And a lot of that will come from seeing who gets, you know, who, who he picks for his cabinet um, you know, yeah. and, and again, you know, we live, we live in a digital age where it's really easy to ch- prove to somebody, you said you were going to do X, Y, and Z. Now let's make sure X, Y, and Z happens. We saw it with the, uh, when they were appointing, uh, uh, Amy Coney Barrett for, to, to the Supreme court, all the clips were being shared of, you know, Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham talking about waiting to, waiting to, uh, confirm a Supreme court justice. So nowadays it's it, absolutely, we need to utilize that technology to hold everybody accountable, not just the people we don't like. Yeah. You know, I agreed. And, you know, it's a delicate balance because obviously you don't want, you don't want to impugn someone enough that someone worse replaces them. Um, you know, but at the same time, we do need to hold them accountable. I think Biden's cabinet is going to be delightfully boring. I think it is going to be people who have, who we haven't heard of, who have been civil servants their entire lives, who know the system, and who can restore what Trump tore down. You know, the we, we just, you know, Blinken is, looks like he's being nominated, and he's someone who's a lifer, he's been there forever, and he can put things back together. Yeah. It's I, I know I know John Kasich's name's been getting floated around, and as somebody from Ohio, my first reaction was just kind of, Sure. All right. Fine. <laughs> if you say so. I'm not sure what he has to offer, but okay, cool. Although yeah, when, when but he, I, I don't think I don't think he's getting appointed to anything. No. I, I mean, I remember when he ran in 2016 and he was one of the ones up on the stage. I was just kind of like, I mean, sure, if you're going to pick somebody, I, I don't I don't hate that idea. I don't love it, but um, this is Ohio, so I don't love a lot of the people who are from here. Uh, Sherrod Browns. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's. I don't think he's horrible. 
but I don't think he's good. Yeah. And, you know, we shouldn't, you know, look, if you're going to nominate a Republican for a cabinet position, let's make it Susan Collins so we can replace her in the Senate. <laughs> you know, like, be smart about it. Seriously. You know, I feel like she she likes transportation, right? That's a, that's a place to put her. <laughs> Uh, kind of, kind of moving off politics a little bit. So how's, how's, how's the COVID experience been for you? You know, we're, we're both comics and it's, it's definitely, you know, I mean, the last time I was on stage was in January. Um, how, how's it, how's this whole thing been for you, you know, in terms of, you know, supporting yourself and staying busy and, and, and just kind of keeping, keeping the wheels turning. Well, I hate to break it to you, but those first two months were your choice. COVID didn't hit us till March. But, <laughs> that's true. That's, <laughs> that's true. I'll, I'll give you that one. <laughs> um, now, I look, I, a lot of my identity is a foreign comic. And so it, it's been weird. Um, I've shifted to digital and I've been concentrating on writing. Um, I think I'll be one of the last comics to perform in person again because I'm not doing it until it's completely safe. And, you know, some. Some other comics I know are like, oh, well, I'm going to do drive-in shows. And I'm like, I'm absolutely not. And they're like, oh, but drive-in shows are safe. I'm like, drive-in shows are safe for us. But for someone to get there, they have to go there. And when they go there, they have to get gas and they have to get food and they have to do all these other things that you are making them do to come see you. And so if I do a drive-in show in Portland, Oregon, then you know what? I'm going to get people driving in from Eugene. And that's two hours and they're going to stop and get gas, and someone's going to get COVID, and it's going to be partially my fault. Now, I don't want that on my hands, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wait it out. And I am very lucky to be in a position where I can. My digital is doing well enough that I'm okay. Um, if this happened a couple of years ago, who knows where I'd be? But you know, I'm fingers crossed. I have enough in the bank. I'm doing enough business digitally that I can wait it out, and that's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's yeah. It's definitely you know nowadays with the advent, of, you know, I've seen things like you know Zoom and Streamyard have suddenly become you know, household terms. Which you know you, you go back yeah. last year, nobody knew what the hell any of those things were. I've seen whole you know uh, inter- internet you know companies based on on YouTube that have had to you know shut their studios down and shift all their content online. Uh, I work at a news station and, you know, our anchors and our reporters have been doing most of their work, work from home, you know, remotely. So um, it's, it's definitely been, I, I'll tell you what, I've seen, I've seen a lot more comics start to branch out in the kind of things they do. Uh, similar, like you were saying, like focusing on writing and, 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 and doing a lot of more digital stuff because you kind of have to, you know, we, we had, we had the club open up a little bit in a limited basis, but you, you could tell it just didn't feel the same there was just kind of this air of like is this going to be the one that you know triggers a a, triggers a spread or something like that yeah um yeah and you know necessity is the mother of invention as they say and it is uh very true and there are plenty of people who who will uh you know poo-poo the idea of a zoom show and it's just a different kind of venue it's, yeah. You know, and look, and there are ones that are run well and runs that are ones that are run poorly. It's like, look, we've all done good bar shows and bad bar shows. We've all done good club shows and bad club shows. You know, hell, I've done I've done a theater show that was run poorly. Like it, it doesn't the, the physical venue isn't 
Tooth Brute and now it's produced. And there are good digital shows. You just have to find them. Yeah, we uh, we set up a, a Discord server for the local comedy scene as a way to have everybody come in. and Because and, and, we used to have, uh, before the open mic on, on Sundays at the club, we used to have... Uh, a comics hang where everybody would come and workshop their bits. And so, but we turned discord into that as a way for everybody to just get together a couple nights a week and just, and just work through material that way that, you know, granted not a lot of life is happening right now. So some folks are having a harder time coming up with new stuff than the other, but it's still a good way to work through existing material and come up with new stuff and and just kind of shoot the shit and brainstorm ideas. I truly think that the biggest revolution from this, is that it will render bad open mics pointless. Because every now and then there's a good open mic. Like, Wise Guys in Utah has like 150 paying customers come see their open mic. Yeah. That's rare. Most big cities, you're just performing to a couple other comics. And now you can do that on Zoom. Everybody has it. Everybody has a setup. You know, gather 10 of your friends together. You each do four minutes and, you know, a couple minutes of feedback. You actually work on your jokes. You, you know, you figure out what has legs, and it's a and it's a much more efficient way of doing it than performing to a, some comics that you don't necessarily know that you know might be ignoring you or writing your material down or you know you can actually you can actually do something and improve. Oh yeah, and there's nothing worse than doing an open mic at a hookah place. It's it's just it's the worst atmosphere. <laughs> everyone's everyone's too chill. <laughs> it's it's no. I, Yes and no. There's, there's, and this goes back to what I was saying about it's not just the venue. Yeah. There's a place in, uh, I think it was in Boca. Um, I, I stopped by there after I had a show at uh, I think it was Florida Atlantic. And there's a place that it was called the Funky Buddha. And they'd been running shows there forever. It's an open mic. I was there with Rich Boss. We both stopped in and did that. And it was super fun. And, you know, even though. It is a hookah bar, but they had a comedy night once a week that, you know, open micers and, and some of their friends and a, some, a couple locals would come see, and it was a fun show. It's it, I, I always love a good surprise. I always love it when you show up to a place that you have the lowest expectations for, and it winds up being uh, an absolutely great show. Um, oh, absolutely. So I, I do have a couple of questions I like to ask every comic when they come on the show, just some, some shop questions. So what's... Right off the bat, what's been just like the 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 one gig you look back on, big or small, that just that just sucked, that just you absolutely just ate it for whatever reason? Hmm. I was uh, I was booked to do a private party um, by this woman who said her husband was a big comedy fan, a big fan of mine, and uh, also a big basketball fan, and so she asked me if I could do some basketball stuff. This was in L.A. So I was like, all right, yeah, I got some Lakers jokes I could do. So I went. Um, I brought uh, J.D. Shapiro with me, who's the guy who wrote Robin Hood Men in Tight. Yeah. Um, and figure out oh, that'd be fun. And so, you know, I introduced him as that. And his opening joke, he just goes, uh, don't be too excited. I also wrote Battlefield Earth, <laughs> which usually gets a laugh. It got nothing. And then he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, it's going to get worse. The next guy wrote Geely. And gets nothing. And some guy stands up in the crowd and just goes, my father lost his shirt on both those movies. That's not the point, you idiot. (laughs) But but that's how much. 
much they didn't get what comedy was. Right. And so JD does like five minutes and just bounces. And I got to do a half hour. And I open with a bunch of Lakers jokes. They're getting nothing. I start realizing like they don't even know what these references are. And so I try to do some material. I try to do some crowd work. Absolute garbage. And I, I say at one point, I just go, how many people here are familiar with my work? And not a single person says yes. Mm. And then I realize, oh, I'm being used in a divorce. Like, <laughs> this is she, this is not a woman trying to make her husband happy. This is a woman ruining her husband's birthday party. Like, he had no idea who I was. He didn't follow basketball. Like, this was awful. And it was just. Uh, the way I put it is it was a long line at the ATM. Like, imagine having to wait at an ATM. Because I got paid, but imagine having to wait at an ATM for a half hour and having to do your material for no one. And that's basically what it was. Ow. It's just, just ow. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't even know how to respond to that. That's, that's, that's just painful to think about. Um, yeah. Well, flipping on that, what's one that what's one that you look back on like, like just so fondly, like one that you like a, a, a gig you love to tell tell as a story when people ask you about like a great going great one you've had. Um. Well, one of my favorites that I had recently was um, a tuning fork in Auckland, in New Zealand. Um, I've played it a couple times before. It's a really cool venue. It's like it's like the rock club that's attached to a stadium. So the Spark Arena is like the big arena in um, in Auckland, and then the Tuning Fork is like it seats like two hundred. Um, but it's in the same building, so your green room is the green room that you'd have if you played the damn arena, which is incredible. And the uh, the material I've been working on lately is much more of a theater type show than it is a club show. It's a lot more of a, you know, kind of a one-man type of thing. And so the tuning fork is more of a, it's a it's the intimacy of a club with the stage setup of a theater. Okay. And so it, it was just one of these things that, and I'd been working on the set with uh, Dan Muggleton, who's the comic I was touring with, and he's a close friend. And, you know, he's kind of been with me since the evolution of the set. He's seen it in a lot of different places. And I came off stage in Auckland, and I just turned to him and I said, that's what I was trying to do. Like, that's, that's why I wrote this show. Like, I wrote this show for this kind of environment. And it was particularly fun because New Zealand is a very quiet and laid-back crowd. Like, the first time I ever played there... I thought I was bombing because they were so quiet. And so to to feel like I killed with a crowd in New Zealand made it even better. So it was it was just such a just such a wonderful night. It's always and I think a lot of comics can relate when you have just one of those those aha moments with with a show or or a bit or uh, just just something you've been working on when it when it finally hits the way you want it to maybe maybe you weren't sure how to describe what you wanted or you knew you were looking for a certain feeling but when you get when you get that aha moment it's it, it, it's it's like breathing new life into uh in, into what you do yeah absolutely 
Now, is, is there anything because because you, you've you've traveled? I mean, all kinds of places doing stand up. You've had uh, a recognizable amount of success in in online with with the videos on YouTube and Facebook. Um, is there anything like you haven't done yet that like that maybe whether you've planned for it or or haven't or just it's kind of a pipe dream? But is is there something in particular in comedy you you want to do? Like what's that what's that bucket that one big bucket list item? Well, I'm, you know, I mean, I, I have yet to have a special on a major network. I mean, that'd be a pretty big deal. Um, but also like one of the things I want to do, I'm getting to do next year. Um, when I, before I even started, when I lived in Boston for a little bit, and I would always walk by the Wilbur theater and just like marvel at the amazing acts that were, that would tour there. And I, you know, I had this shitty job in a, uh, in a bed and breakfast where I had to like do turn down service and make fruit salad, all kinds of crap I didn't want to do. And I, I realized I didn't want to do it and I quit and I moved back to New York and I started working on becoming a comic. And next August, I am booked for a show at the Wilbur Theater in Boston. That is so cool. That is, yeah. you talk, talk about dreams coming to reality. That's just yeah. It's it's an eleven hundred seater. It's insane. We've already sold over a hundred tickets. It's not till August, and you know I'm just I I am over the moon excited waiting for it. Are there are there plans to to tape it? Is that still something in the works, or maybe you're just thinking about it? Well, I I mean I film every one of my shows with just my own cameras, but. The material I'm working on now, like the stuff that, you know, I was working on in Auckland, the material I'm working on for my next special, I have a vision of shooting the special because a lot of it is about growing up Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, eventually losing my dad. I want to shoot that special at my old grade school. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I have this vision of doing it there. I think that would be really cool. So those are always the ones that, that feel when, when there's like, it's not just a random theater that they happen to get booked when there's, when there's meaning behind it, when you can tell that the, the, the show and, and the place means something to the, to the comic, you can always, you can always just tell whether they say it or not, that there's, there's something special about, about the show you're, you're watching. And then that's, that's, I always love to see stuff like that. Yeah, it was, uh, um, I, I hope that I can do it. It is a public school in New York city. So who knows what kind of red tape I'm going to have to jump through. Right. But you know, fingers crossed. I just feel like filming it in that same auditorium would just be so cool. Um, was your dad, you you mentioned your dad was, was he, uh, was he a big fan, a big fan of the comedy stuff? Like how, how was that with, with the parents when you yeah. were first getting into it? That's- that's how I got into it. He used to, you know, play the old stand-up records when I was a kid. Um, and unlike a lot of comics, you know, I'm lucky enough that my parents were supportive from the jump. Um, you know, my my parents came to a bunch of early shows. My my dad, there was uh, there was one joke that I kind of was riffing in the car with him, and you know, he was just laughing. He wasn't doing any of the riffing. But he called that his joke from there on out. And, you know, he would always, he would always when he would come to a show, oh, how come you didn't do my joke? <laughs> um, 
so yeah, he was uh, he was a, a big fan of it, and in fact, um, the last time I you know I saw him before he passed was the first time he was able to really come on the road with me. You know, he had seen a ton of shows, but um, he I I got to open for Dick Gregory, who was one of the comics he used to you know play for me when I was a kid, and uh, and I threw my dad out so that. You know, he came with me from Louisville to Indianapolis. You know, the two of us and Dick Gregory drove across the Midwest, which was crazy. And uh, it was, yeah, just a, a really amazing week. And um, you know, he was he was a he was a big fan of of comedy in general, and he really liked that I was a comic. That's I love that you got to fly him out to to that show. You know, my uh, my, my dad uh, the year that he passed away. Um, was the first time I ever did a, a club show. Uh, I got started in South Carolina, and where I was living at, at the time, there were no like clubs. It was all just bars, and I mean they were decent shows. But when I when I moved up here to Dayton, um, I was finally able to get booked at at the club here in town. And uh, my dad was going through remission at the time, and so he got to come watch me do my first club show. I I, I shit the bed completely because I was too nervous and I couldn't get my head around it. But uh, yeah. it was it was great that I was at least glad that he got to come see me on a on a non bar stage because he I mean he had been to all my shows of me going to you know comedy clubs and or not comedy clubs coffee shops and bookstores and and crap like that so it was it was a great feeling getting to 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 share that kind of that big of an experience with with my dad because he had he, like yours he had been a big supporter of it you know from the get go um, yeah so I, I love that you got That's to do great. that. Well, Steve, I, I know you got, I know you're busy. I know you're on the road. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, before we let you go, uh, one last thing, just to, just just for everybody else out there, uh, what is what can people look forward from uh, look forward to from you uh, going on right now? What, what's what's in the immediate future? So um, right now, I'm doing shows at Nowhere Comedy Club, uh, which is you know a digital comedy space that. Uh, Ben Believe and I created, and, and uh, you know, with, I mean, Mike Birbiglia has got shows coming up, Don Cleese, it's, it's a pretty crazy, amazing digital experience from your couch, um, and I have shows there every week, and I'm doing a new one where I actually, I, I'm heckling myself. I'm basically watching some of my heckler clips with the crowd and then breaking them down, saying, here's what I did wrong, here's what, you know, et cetera. And it's you know kind of a kind of a director's cut of uh, of some of those clips, and the the one on December tenth is which is the first one we're doing. Uh, it's the Trump edition, and so it's all all hecklers that were uh, Trump supporters. <laughs> oh man, I can't wait! I can't wait. So make sure, guys, if, you, if you're listening right now on the replay, uh, you know, make sure you check out the the Nowhere Comedy Club shows with Steve Hofstetter. Uh, and 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 watch, make sure you guys continue to. I see everybody sharing them all the time. All the all the heckler clips are so popular. Continue to share those and watch those. Um, Steve, man, thank you for taking some time out of your out of your travels to uh, to talk with us today. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course, guys. Uh, make sure you check out Steve all over the interwebs. Uh, watch his videos, share his tweets, all that good stuff. Uh, Steve, we're going to go ahead and let you go, man, so you can get back on the road. But once again, thank you so much for coming on. All right. Take care, man. Take care, Steve.
right, guys, that was Steve Hostetter, comedian extraordinaire, coming to us live from the road. That was so much fun. Uh, short little chat. Great to talk with him. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, watching it live here in the Patreon. For those of you who didn't watch it live in the Patreon, you're enjoying it now on the replay. We do live streams of all of our show tapings and all of our interview recordings live in the Patreon when they happen. So if you're not a member of the Patreon yet, boom, there you go. There's another reason to join. Uh, but that being said, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you so much. And we'll be back again with you guys next time on another episode of The Basement Lounge. Until then, as always, live well, rock on, take care.